Hello, and welcome to Ethical Seduction, your sex and relationship podcast. We explore topics and skills designed to help you get what you want, both in and out of the bedroom. Tonight, have you ever been on in a relationship where one person tended to be the dominant, the lead, and have control over the relationship and how it worked? This can be done in a healthy way when all parties agree, such as if you're doing like a DS, dominance and submission type relationship. But, but what happens when you find yourself in an imbalanced power dynamic that's really non-consensual? Uh, perhaps it happens accidentally, but all of a sudden you identify, like how do you identify what's going on? How do you help manage it? And how do you kind of work to adjust things with your partner in that relationship? So Ava is going to lead this discussion as we explore relationship power inequality. I'm your host, Stephen, and tonight we have Kimberly. Hi. And Ava. Hey, kids. And Brandy. Hello. I do like the hey, kids. <laughs> you said that a couple of times, and I'm like, all right. So, um, all right. So, uh, you know, the, the weekly question, and I know, Kimberly, you're all ready for this. So I was like, has anybody done anything interesting this week? This is what I have to live with. Listen to this, Kimberly's. Oh, I'm okay. So my dog had his birthday this week and he had, <laughs> so Jasper turned 15 and Jasper, d- did you know that there's like two or three dog bakeries in this city? So you can like order homemade treats and cakes for your animals from these bakeries. And that's like all they do. Can I so guess he got the like- cities they're located in? Green Hills, Brentwood. <laughs> <laughs> So he got a cake that said happy 15th birthday, Jasper. And we sang to him and we gave him a present, like the whole thing. That's so sweet. I love that. What was his present? More treats. (laughs) But it's worse. They're peanut butter. They're peanut butter treats. And I'm allergic to peanut butter. So I just want to complain for a second here. Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, like this is we when I married Kimberly, I realized like I was the third in this polyamorous relationship. (laughs) Well, you know, Jasper's been around a lot longer than you have, you know. So it's like he always I'm just tired of it. He always comes first. I'm just tired of that. I'm just putting it out there. Okay. And then his birthday, he gets a cake and stuff like that. And it's not a cake that even people can eat. It's designer pet food. So anyway, I just, I'm going to be in therapy. Yeah. So Mm. I can look with that. Yeah. Brandy, I want to follow up on last week though with the sex glove. So I am so sad to report that we did not get around to using it. <gasps> I know. And then I was like, I'm going to use it. And then I was like, I'm going to use it on myself. And then I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. But I'm determined to use it next weekend when I see him again. It's going to happen. I'm going to be like, listen, before we do anything, get this glove on. Um, I don't know how to make that sexy, but like, I'm going to try. Um, yeah. Just and then I promise, the I, promise I'll report on. back. That's yeah. funny. Okay. <laughs> so sometimes you, you were all excited about it and everything like that. And then sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Yeah, exactly. You just kind of pivot to the next thing. And that was fine. Were you, were you frustrated and pissed off? That's how I envision you. No, because like, it wasn't like he had the glove on and was like so close to using it. And it's like, Oh, change my mind or something happened. Like, you know, it just didn't even get pulled out of the box. So that's a little okay. bit different. So there was no tease or denial there at all. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Ava, anything with you or no? You could pass this week. 
I had a threesome last week. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're like all such normal people. And then it's like we get to this question and all this shit comes out. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, and I'm like, I'm not really a huge fan of group sex normally, but I, I, the, the new person that I told you about before, I got to meet um, his girlfriend and she was super cool. And like, honestly, we really vibed. And then like stuff happened and it was great. So this was unplanned, sort of. Yeah, it was really spontaneous. No, I'm that's like, oh, uh, yeah, threesomes, like, that's cool. Not really my thing. But, like, last week it was my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. All right. Well, that's fun. I enjoyed that that portion. Um, Ava, I'm going to turn it over to you. You want to give the introduction? Yeah, sure. Okay. So today's um, topic really around like power imbalances in relationships and inequalities in relationships. Um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of how we, how we chose this topic. Um, and after all, it is Black History Month and Black History Month is a time when we, when we really want to remember and celebrate like events and achievements of Black people of color for their, their role, their very significant role in our history. Um, and ultimately like shaping so much of our lives today, uh, names that come to mind for me would be like Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, there are so many out there, but we originally were, were talking about like, what can, what can we do um, for Black History Month to kind of like acknowledge and celebrate? What can we do that it is, kind of in, in our realm of expertise. Um, and I just, I think that it's, it's a really good opportunity for us today to kind of highlight the effects of racism in our country and seek an opportunity to address it. Um, and I just think by, you know, kind of acknowledging some of those elements, some of those racist elements in our culture, um, how it's led to, you know, violent, unjustified fatalities in the world. I mean, I'm talking about like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many, many, many others um, that we can have a conversation around like identifying our part in reshaping our culture um, and, and, you know, work toward making it one of equality and equity and peace and fairness. And so what can, what can ethical seduction do um, to do our part, to, to have that conversation, to make sure that we are talking about these things and being mindful of these things. Um, and so one topic that came to mind that overlaps with our area of expertise, sex and relationships and dating, um, is, you know, the topic of power imbalances in relationships that involve privilege. Um, it's not unknown, you know, that race plays a huge part in the power dynamics of our entire nation. Um, and when it comes to any relationship that experiences any kind of like power imbalance in relation to some kind of privilege, race can be a huge factor there. Um, there can be a lot of other significant factors such as like differences in class or religion, um, gender, ableism, age, things like that. Um, and so this, this episode is for any listeners that may be experiencing some kind of imbalance in their relationship and maybe you know, maybe you know exactly what it is and you're struggling to fix it, or maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't know that it was there. Maybe you felt like something was off in your relationship and you didn't have the language to to understand what was wrong. And maybe this will help shed some light on your situation. I hope that, I hope that everyone finds something of value in the next hour. Um, if I can interrupt a second, I th yes, that's what please. I think is, you know, I think that's really important. I think sometimes it's like, you don't realize certain things are going on until you know, like tonight, if we're talking about it, we're kind of hoping that flushes some stuff out. And, and, you know, somebody who's listening realizes like they're either on either end of the spectrum, either the person who's in power or, or not 
whatever. I'm not sure where it is, not in power, you disenfranchised or something. And uh, yeah, it can take all different forms and shapes. And so sometimes it's good to kind of think like, okay, is this going on in my relationship at any you know, form or fashion? And you know, how does it maybe apply to me? Because I do think it applies it applies probably more often than we realize. And I think sometimes we're not aware that it's going on in our own relationships. Absolutely. I would, I would even go it so far as to say that this is probably something that impacts every relationship um, out there. Like if you've ever been in an intimate relationship of some kind, that if, unless you were dating yourself, there's probably some kind of difference in there where one of you may be a part of a marginalized community and that may be a factor. And it may not be a factor that is significant enough that it really has an impact on your relationship or it might be it might have a huge impact and just no one has no one's ever talked about it before and we just we don't know that something is off because we haven't talked about it so that's my hope is that today we get to talk about it um so one thing i want to clarify really quick is that this is not a conversation about like kinky ds like dominant submissive um, power exchanges this is a conversation about non-intentional, non-consensual power imbalances and what to do about them. So we're not so much going to be focusing on like BDSM or like kinky related relationships. It can absolutely apply in here, but I think the concept is that this can apply across all forms of relationships and what to do about that. Uh, so with that said, let's go ahead and jump on in. Um, the first thing I want to do is, is kick off with a question, and I just kind of want to hear from from Stephen and Brandy and Kimberly, what does what does privilege mean to you when you hear that word? What comes to mind? Can I go first? You can absolutely go first. Okay. I, the reason I want to go first is my I was so dumb about this. Like this was a really hard concept for me to understand, and for some reason, I think it took me longer to understand it than the average person. Okay. And so when I first heard that when somebody first says something about privilege or like white privilege or male privilege or whatever like that, I, I didn't get it. And the way I took it is like, well, don't you, I don't, basically I took it as like, don't you deserve to have like a good, happy, healthy life? And so I was like, well, yeah. So I guess I'm privileged. Totally missed the whole point, you know? And so it, it was, and that's what I want to kind of say is like, it took me some time to realize like what it means is like, no, like I have certain um, privileges, certain advantages that sometimes I'm not even aware of that because I am a, you know, a white male, I, you know, I can just do certain things where other people have hardships that I'm unaware of, you know, a lot of the times. Okay. And so that's where it's like, that's what, that's what I now understand privilege to be is like, okay, it's not that there's something directly, there's nothing wrong with, I'm going to say being a white male, but it's like, it is important to kind of understand that I have, I don't have some of the struggles that other people have. Thank you for that input. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I know for me, um, like when I think about privilege, it's somebody else is getting less in order for somebody else to be getting more. And the person that's getting more has had it this entire time to the point where they may not even know that it exists. Mm -hmm. So I think that what you, mm -hmm. what you shared, Stephen, is, is a good highlight of like privileges, if you are a person that has some kind of privilege, you may not be aware that it exists unless somebody points it out to you. And it may not, yeah. it may not make sense at first. I know for me, it didn't make sense for me when people were initially like introducing that concept to me, you know, in my earlier years, I, I'm like, Oh, what do you mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not at an advantage. I don't have more than anybody else, but, but in actuality I do. And I just, I never saw that. Right. And I think another thing to elaborate on is, you know, privilege can be looked at as something that you just got without 
working for it. Um, so that's why sometimes people don't realize they have it because they didn't do anything to get it besides just like the color of their skin or their the gender they identify as or present as. Absolutely. Kimberly, what comes to mind for you when you hear the word privilege? Um, I mean, I think Steve and Brandy really, you know, hit the nail on the head. Um, so I don't want to just reiterate what they said, but I tend to think also um, in terms of like structural inequalities and things on a larger scale. Um, so not just like I have an advantage over somebody else because of the color of my skin, but also how these things are built into our institutions and our society as a whole. Absolutely. That's a really, really great point. And I'm hoping with the next question that I have here that we can dive into into that a little bit more in that it's not just like the color of the skin, but like it is also very much like built into the structure of our society in so many different ways. Right. Absolutely. Um, my next question that I have on here for y'all is how can privilege lead to a power imbalance in intimate relationships? So, um, and I like, I, I just want to like start by saying like, for me, when at least when at least one person in a relationship has more opportunity or influence than another. Um, I mentioned before, like the concept of like less for you means more for me. So we're talking about that concept of privilege inside an intimate relationship with one or more other human beings. Right. Um, so I wonder if we can talk through some examples, maybe um, Brandy, Kimberly, Stephen, do you guys have any um, examples of how privilege can impact intimate relationships or have you encountered anything like that before? Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is just my class privilege and how I um, grew up pretty solidly middle class or at least if we were a lower middle class kind of when I was younger, I didn't realize it. And then, you know, kind of rose, my parents did, were able to kind of work themselves from um, a background of extreme poverty into the middle class, which is not something people can really do these days. Um, so I came from this background of class privilege. And, you know, when I started, I guess, you know, I'm in recovery 10 years from drugs, and I got really solidly into the drug scene. And so I hung out with all types of people who I still think to this day were awesome people are awesome people. Um, but I, you know, hung out with people of different classes than I and dated people um, who were not as privileged um, to grow up with the support of their family or the money that I was um, used to, you know, having, having all these things. And so I just remember, like, for example, one time, um, I had a friend and I guess you would say like kind of someone I was like sleeping with, I guess. And so like, whatever. So he was homeless in Atlanta and I'm like, I am coming to get you. Like, you know, I'm not going to leave you homeless on the street. And like, sure, I have great intentions and I did help him a lot. But like later on, he was like, yeah, like I was homeless and you're just drinking like apple martinis. Like it's no big deal. And I'm like, well, yeah, I was, but like, I didn't intend to make you feel, um, 
lesser than me in any way, but I feel like it your intentions don't really matter as the person with the privilege because the person with you know who experiences the inequalities like that is their perception is what matters because I can be doing a whole bunch of stuff I'm not aware of um whether it has to do with my race or my class or you know anything like that so I can be doing stuff I'm not aware of um whether that's just in friendships um, or in romantic relationships. So I feel like the first thing you need to do, and maybe I'm jumping ahead to like, oh, action oriented stuff. So maybe I should stop. But I, I feel like you just really need to acknowledge people's feelings and their experiences and be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like I really fucked up there. Like I should have had more empathy on X, Y, Z. I I think that might be moving ahead a little bit, Kimberly, but I love hearing what you're saying because I kind of wrote out the things that I wanted to cover tonight and, and what you're saying is like in line with what I have written down. So I feel really good about that. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah. I think you, you bring up some really good examples of like, what, what does class privilege look like and how does that impact someone that does not, you know, does not enjoy the privilege of, of, you know, being a part of middle-class society. Right. Um, I, I have a friend actually, uh, I have two friends that are a couple that are dating that are in, uh, what I like to coin as an age gap relationship. Like there's a significant number of years between their ages. Um, and we've had conversations before about, uh, age privilege, which isn't something that I, I hear of very often. Um, but after talking with them about it, it's, it seems super, super obvious in that, you know, she is, uh, around my age, maybe a little bit younger. And he is, I want to say like 20, 25 years older than she is. Um, And there is this certain amount of privilege in that like her partner who is far older, it has far more life experiences, is far more established as far as like community or education or career goes, um, has a lot more stability as far as like their financial situation goes or their living situation goes, right? This person is is so far along in life that they kind of have everything already set up and established and and has a well, they've got a well, uh, a good foundation kind of established for their life. Whereas she is much earlier on and kind of in a position where she doesn't have as many of those experiences. And so it very much puts their relationship at this sort of this sort of tilt or imbalance of, you know, her older partner kind of easily runs the show without them ever talking about it or discussing it. It's kind of just the default, right? And that's not necessarily how it should be. You know, they didn't talk about, oh, he's going to call all the shots because he has more life experience than me, right? Like that's not the case. That's not necessarily something that you sign up for, but it's kind of the the default and it doesn't need to be right. So that's, that's one example that I wanted to bring up of, you know, in an unexpected way in which a concept like age privilege can really put a relationship at a disadvantage. Sure. I don't want to like dominate this conversation, but I feel like I, um, I don't know if me and Steve's count as like a significant age gap, but where there's like 10 years, nine or 10 years, apart from so I'm the younger one um and I do feel like he's more established than I am now that I'm thinking about it just because I spent all of my 20s like 
um, you know, drinking and stuff. And so I kind of threw that time away where most people are like establishing their career. And I was not doing that until I'm like 30, you know, so here, and here he is at his age with kids and like, very far along in his career and more like financially stable than I am. So I guess I can relate to that. Although I've never like really thought about it till you mentioned it, Ava. I know that I've had people because, okay, this is kind of a joke between us. Like, I think I look younger than I am. And Steve's like, nobody thinks you're that young. But anyway, <laughs> I'm like, yes, they do. Yes, they do. They think I look younger than you, a lot younger. But you get, <laughs> so you get a lot of looks like when you go out in public, not that it should matter like what people think, but like, I feel like sometimes other people are like, think I'm some kind of like gold digger. I don't know, but they're like giving me dirty looks like, who are you, you know, this young girl with a more established guy. And I'm like, it's not really like, I mean, that's just not right. It, it reminds me back in high school in the nineties, which I know I'm like going on a tangent, but like I had friends who male friends who were black and one guy in particular, we would hang out and then we were not dating. Not that it mattered, but in the nineties, like in Alabama, racism was so in your face that like you I couldn't even go out and have lunch with my friend without people giving us dirty looks like how can you be you know with a black man as a white woman and it's just like come on like you know it's it's like not okay and I know those little examples but um I have a couple of examples in terms of just relationship dynamics. So when um, I was dating my ex-wife now um, and we would go out in public, we would get looks and the looks were not like Mm -hmm. comforting looks. Um, And then um, I was in a relationship several years ago where there was a significant age gap of like 25 years and we would go out in public and I wouldn't get looks but he would get looks and they would be like this, like, uh-huh, uh-huh type of, we all know why you're with someone so much younger than you. And I'm like, that's not really the, the situation here. It wasn't for me. And then another interesting thing I noticed is that when I would go out on a date or something with or an obvious date with a female um, at a restaurant and we would get the check, the waitress or waiter would always be like, okay, girls, how are we going to do this check? And when I go out on a date with a male, mm-hmm. they always give it to the male, like assume it's going to go to the male. And so. Which I think that's so wrong. I think Kimberly should get the check. No, I think it should be every time. How are, you, how are we going to do this check? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you are right. that It always comes to me. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm like, that's just not okay um, for me anyway. So even in that, those very superficial examples, um, which are not, you know, heavy hitters at all they're you know I can't relate someone I I want to almost contest what you have to say about that Brandy about them being small examples and I think Kimberly said the same thing like yeah they're small examples but here's the thing like when you're dealing with with disadvantages like these and some kind of relation to some kind of privilege it's it's every single day you are living with it it's it's Mm -hmm. that tiny little pinch of discomfort of like oh I don't like that that's not how this should be again and again and again every single day because it's the norm right right and, and like walking out life. in public not knowing how people are going to react to you on the sidewalk for instance is a very un 
um, it's not like very comforting, um, you know, feeling to, mm-hmm. to yeah. yeah, I would, I would almost say that like part of, part of the, the problem, part of the reason why more of these things aren't addressed and aren't talked about is because, oh, just this one little example, it's so small, like let's, it's not even a thing, don't worry about it. And then there's another one little tiny example, and then another one. And at some point, all those things add up and turn into a mm-hmm. really big problem, right? But because we address them as one-offs, we brush them off, we shrug them off, we laugh about them, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they don't, they may not get the attention that they really deserve. That's fair. Um, Ava, can I share something really fast? You can absolutely share in? something really okay. fast. Um, so, so this was kind of a, a tricky question for me at first, and I had to think about it, but what keeps coming to my mind, I think this is related, okay, is like I grew up in the Baltimore area, and Baltimore is sort of interesting okay because like if you're in the city the, the city is like i don't know what the numbers are now if it's like 80 90 percent like african-american just tons of african-american people right but you go across the line into the county there's baltimore county which is where i grew up and but i work i was within walking distance of the city line and that city line was this like hard definition because the schools were different and all everything changed, you know, once you cross the city line. So, you know, here we were, we were aware, I'm going to say more like in high school, we were really kind of aware that, okay, like we're all like the white kids and like, we're all together. And we had like, our school does not have the diversity that like my kids school does, you know? And so you're going there and you're kind of aware of it, but you're kind of not. So you really, you know, growing up, it's like you're in this bubble, you know, this bubble that people that can afford to live outside the city, that's where we are. So we had this really nice sort of life. But I think my friends and I growing up there, it's like we were aware of it. And we were aware that right across that line, that city line, were people that were very poor, you know, and African American, and that there was this big difference. And we, I'm going to say kind of cared about that, I cared about them, cared about the differences. We could see the problem sort of, but we didn't really know how to grasp it because we were in this bubble. So you grow up and you're in this bubble and you're aware you're in the bubble, but it's you get this weird sensation because you're not exactly sure of like what that means. And so we were tr- we would try to be aware, we would try to be conscientious, you know, of people that were different than us whether it's economics or or race or whatever. And and I feel like that's kind of a Baltimore thing, you know, that because of the and I think DC is probably very similar too. That because there's those differences like there, you're aware of people that do not have what you have, but it's so easy to be like in this bubble, and you and like oh I just want to live like a happy life with my kids, and therefore I'm going to be in this bubble, and you know we're going to protect those kids, and we're going to keep them in this nice safe bubble, and so that's kind of a it's it's sort of weird. It's weird. It is weird because you don't really have the language to be able to say, hey, this thing right here that I see, it's a problem. You just have a feeling, right? Like, Stephen, what you were describing is like, I'm aware that there is this weird thing going on and I don't necessarily understand like what the problem is or how to fix it. I just know that there's this thing and it exists and it's weird. And, oh, here I am right. in my bubble and I don't have the tools or the language or the knowledge to know what to do with that, except that it doesn't seem right. Yeah. And and I would say like, too, we end up, my friends and I end up being accidentally prejudiced. It's not on purpose. It's not because we want to, but it's like, you don't, you know, you mess up and then somebody says something and then you go, Oh, like I never thought about that before. And then we would try to learn, but it's like, yeah, you, you, like I realize still, like I have because of society and things like that. It's like, you don't want to be prejudiced, but it's like, we get this stuff like ingrained in us 
you know, accidentally and it's hard to shake. Yeah. We're definitely set up that way. Kind of We're making a way. difference on this podcast. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> That's so. <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, let's move forward. I want to, I have a few other like examples that I wanted to kind of bring to light just to make sure that we touch on them. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of run through my examples. I think some of these we probably talked about a little bit already, but like, so some examples of like white privilege and how that can impact relationships. Right. Um, so a, a white person is more likely to be trusted by people that you don't know than a person of color would. And I'm talking about like, when you're at a store, if you are a white person and you're walking around with your partner, who is a person of color, people are less likely to believe that you are being suspicious or that you are being, that you are shoplifting or, or anything like that, right? People are going to be more trusting of you by default because you are white. Um, and so that can create, that can put your partner at a disadvantage because you're both there together in the store shopping or whatever it is that you're doing, right? And there's going to be this mistrust that can create uncomfortableness um, and a feeling of unsafety and things like, like that. That's a layer that's there that, that as a white person, we may not be, we may not be aware of, right? Um, white people are perceived as less, uh, less violent or less dangerous as well. Um, and then if you add in like the layer of say like male privilege, um, men are more likely to get a job promotion um, than a woman or a non-binary person, right? Um, so when you're thinking through like who's the breadwinner of the family, if that's if that's a, a concept in your household or your in your relationship, society kind of sets it up to be the man when it doesn't have to be or it shouldn't necessarily be, right? Um, but people are going to expect the man in the relationship, if there is one, to um, to be the breadwinner when that's not necessarily the case. Um, let me see here. We talked a lot about class, class privilege examples already, so I'm going to skip over that one. And we talked about age privilege examples um, couples privilege examples. That's one that I want to touch on a little bit because that's one that I personally can attest to over my years of being in, in polyamorous relationships. Um, this is something that I have encountered on one side of the coin or the other, um, either the person that has more power or the person that's at a disadvantage. Um, if you are in say like a polyamorous relationship, for example, in a triad, um, where there is, uh, where there are three people involved, um, a lot of times that relationship will stem from a couple that brings a third person into the relationship. And that couple, that that pre-existing relationship that has more tenure, that has more foundation, they may have holiday traditions set up in place already. And all of this, like this is how we live our lives already established, that it's really, really difficult when you bring in that third person for them to figure out like, where do I fit in? And it's very common for that person to end up kind of molding themselves to that couple relationship, right? So it's kind of like this third person on the outside molding themselves to the outside of this couple's world where, you know, if um, they have really, really solid traditions set up around Halloween or around Christmas or around any holiday, um, you know, if that third person that has less tenure and thus less power and less of a voice and more vulnerability in that relationship than the the original couple, the pre-existing couple, you know, it's going to be very difficult for them to say, well, what about my tradition that I'm really, really fond of? I'd really love to, to, to share that with you and to experience that with you. And it's really up to the couple, to the people that have more power, more um, privilege in that relationship to 
make room and to be mindful of like we already have our life all figured out but we made room for this person in our lives we need to make room for all the things that come with that person including their preferences their style their traditions things like that um so just kind of introducing that that concept of couples privilege and how that can impact a, a polyamorous relationship whether that's a triad or a v or a thruple or whatever you want to call it or i'm sure many other types of uh relationship involving women. Um, okay, those are all of my examples. Um, moving on. So the next section that I wanted to talk about, this this last section was really around just like identifying the problem. Like what is it and what does it look like? What I want to kind of transition into is what can we do about it once we know that it exists? Um, and I think the first step, I personally think the first step is, you know, you need to call it out. Somebody, when they identify like, hey, this is a thing and it's a thing that's dragging our relationship down. It's a thing that's putting one of us at a disadvantage. We should at the very least call it out and talk about it and address it, like address the elephant in the room. Um, so my next question for those in the room, uh, Brandy and Steven and Kimberly, um, do you have any thoughts about what the best way is to call it out when you identify or suspect you may be seeing privilege? Um, you know, whether it's it's you're the person with the privilege or your partner that has the privilege, like what is the best way to call that out once you've identified that it's a thing? Are you talking specifically about like a dating relationship or a romantic relationship, Ava? I was kind of uh, framing the conversation around intimate relationships. So you can kind of mm -hmm. take that anyway, whether that's a okay. sexual or romantic or dating or it, yes, all of the above. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we were still like staying within that realm um, totally. in our answers. Well, I know what I would do. I know what I would do. Um, I've heard this called like the compliment sandwich, you know? So what I'm thinking is like, you're like, you got to call it out. Okay. Which I agree. Like I would be like, okay, I see this thing. We, we do need to talk about it. So when anytime you're going to talk about something sensitive, it's like, it's always best to kind of come in and sort of not necessarily say something nice, but like remind the part, like I would remind Kimberly, like, you know, Hey, you know how much I love you, blah, blah, blah. You know, something like that, something that is comforting. Okay. And puts her at ease. Then you say the thing you need to say. And then you, at the end, you kind of remind the person like that you like them, that, you know, you're not judging of them or whatever. Okay. So I would say like, you're calling it out, but I don't think you want to just be like, Hey, you know what the hell your problem is? Like that's boom. People are going to put walls up and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's better to approach it with like, you know, maybe like, Hey, I've got something sensitive to talk about. Do you have a second? You know, you're showing a little bit of vulnerability there. Then you can say your thing and then you can kind of, you know, connect with the person be like, you know, I really want to work on this with you, something like that. So it's, that's why I say it's a sandwich. Maybe the, the, the important part is in the middle, but you're kind of taking care of the person on either end. That's, that's the approach I would do with this and really anything that's like a sensitive conversation that you have to have with, with a partner. I really like what you said there, Stephen. Um, I, for me, like, it sounds like you want to make sure you're creating a safe space for that person, right? Like, Hey, this is a serious thing that we need to talk about, but still giving them that, that cushion, the, when you say compliment sandwich, like you need to surround them with, with thoughts of like, I, I love you and I care about you. And, and, you know, I want this to work. This isn't because I want this to break. I'm mm -hmm. doing this because I want this to be stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me add real fast. The other thing that I want to do is I want to, like you said, create the safe environment. That's really important. So I want to create an environment where Kimberly can come and tell me really horrible things that are going to hurt me. 
because that way we can at least, so, so I have to like mentally be prepared. Like, okay, she's allowed to do this when she comes and does it and she forgets to do the compliment sandwich and just hits me with it over the face. Like I need to be sort of like, okay with that to a certain thing to where I can be receptive. So that's like a, I don't know, just an internal thing. I tell myself, you know, that yes, I need to welcome her coming, telling me things that are going to hurt. I feel like I would approach it similar to Steve in that I don't want to be very like accusatory and pointing fingers, even though I'm like calling somebody out on their, you know, behavior and trying to bring light to their behavior that's negative. I don't want to be like saying a lot of you and being really accusatory. I want to make more like I statements and be like, when you did X, I felt Y. You're such a social worker. I can, when you give it, that's a good answer. But I hear you say that. I'm like, man, you sound right. like a professional. And then I come at it from the aspect of uh, if someone says something that I'm not, that's not really sitting well with me, um, I ask them like to help me understand why they said that. So then I know the background that they're bringing into the whatever statement they made. So I already kind of have a glimpse at their perspective. Um, and then I will kindly try to give my perspective and why that might um, differ with theirs, et cetera, et cetera. So I try to understand what, why they made the statement. Um, so I know that background before. I... Yeah, that's good. I like that. Man, these are all such great answers. You guys are like covering all my content for me. So like, I'll, I'm just going to go. Okay, I'm done. I'll see you later. <laughs> Um, okay. So thank you. Thank you so much. Biggie. That was really, really valuable input. Um, the only thing that I wanted to, to make sure that we covered in this section to make sure it kind of came up in conversation was first of all, obviously like talk about it, communicate, right? Like you need to have some kind of communication, um, to, to call it out and to address it if anything is going to change. Um, if I think if, if you're the person at a disadvantage because your partner experiences privilege of some kind, you know, just let them know that you want to be able to openly address this with them and, and discuss if this is something, you know, that's appropriate to dive into right in that moment. Or, you know, if there's a good time later where you can both set time aside to be present for really addressing what the issue is. And Stephen, I think that you had mentioned something about that, like being prepared to hear those really difficult or painful things. Like sometimes people need to take some time to prepare for that. And so maybe that's not like, Hey, we need to talk right now, drop whatever you're doing. We need to tackle yeah. this. Right. Maybe it's like, I have this thing that I want to talk to you about that I think is going to be difficult or challenging is now a good time for that. Or like, do we need to take an hour or later tonight or tomorrow or later this week or whatever that looks like. And really just like get that out in the open of like, we need to have a conversation when is a good time so that we can both be in a good headspace and be mentally prepared for that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that choosing the right time, that that's important. If the mm -hmm. person's in a bad mood, not the right mm -hmm. time to have that. that for sure. Um, and then, you know, if, if you are the person mm -hmm. with privilege and you're hearing this from the other person, the first thing that I want to say is be open to the conversation um, and, and believe them you know, acknowledge the the pain and discomfort that's being brought to you and ask what it is that they need or, you know, how do we make this work for both of you or for everyone involved? Um, and, and Brandy, I think that kind of stems back to, to what you had mentioned of like, help me understand what's going on because I want to make this right. I want to make this work for all of us, right? Um, and so when I've experienced situations like this in the past and I've brought up a really difficult conversation with a partner, the... First of all, it was always surprising to me when I would bring up a problem that was so obvious in my mind of something happening between my partner and I, and and to have that be received with 
head scratching and blank stares of what? Like, are you like just not, not non-belief, but like not being able to, like, they're not being able to like wrap their head around it in the first place. Right. But when the response is, I see that you're in pain. I see that there's a problem. I don't know that I completely understand it yet, but I believe you and I want this to work and I want us to sit down and hash this out. Right. So if, if, you are a person in that position where someone is is bringing your privilege to the table and saying we need to talk about this. Believe them, even if it doesn't completely make sense to you. That's okay. Like work it out and talk it out. Like the first step is just to acknowledge and believe them and go from there. And make them feel like they're they're being heard. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you know once once you have kind of brought that conversation to the table, like we're aware there's a problem. Let's talk about it. What do we do? What are, what are some things that we can do about it? And my, my advice in this situation is to create a plan together. Like maybe try a few different strategies and figure out what's going to work best for the relationship that you're in with this person. Um, so there's a couple of different like tools or suggestions or methods that, that I'm going to shout out here. But at the end of the day, like every relationship is different. You should sit down and hash it out with them and figure out like what's a solution that can work best for us, right? Um, and so if the, if this issue around privilege is something that's coming up, say in like a social setting, perhaps you may have like a keyword or a behavior to like signal calling out, like something that's happening, right? Like if you're in the middle of a conversation with several people at like a dinner party or something, like maybe, you know, you guys say like decide ahead of time, like if this issue comes up again, like if your friend says something really racist to me, next time we see them, I'm going to put my hand on your back so that, you know, like, oh, something was said and like, either we need to excuse ourselves and talk about it or we, it needs to be addressed in the moment, um, you know, or maybe like a special like code word, like, oh, hey, do you remember we need to go get pick up cupcakes on the way home or something like that, right? Something to call out in the moment, like, hey, this is happening. Make sure you're, you're paying attention for this so that we can address it the way that we talked about. Um, so like keywords or behaviors for a signal would be like my first suggestion, my first kind of tool in the toolkit. Um, and then my next one would be doing like a weekly check-in or it doesn't have to be a weekly. It can be whatever cadence works best for, for you and your relationship. Right. Um, but like a, a, a check-in at a specific cadence where, where you agree that we're going to have a conversation where, you know, the person with privilege is asking the powerless person how things are going, what has their experience been, rather than expecting the person that doesn't have privilege to come forward every single time something happens, because I like I, I can speak to this example, like that's exhausting and unreasonable and painful and takes a huge toll on that person. So like take time, whether it's at a weekly cadence or a different cadence or, or if it's spontaneous, like take the time to ask and check in with them. And I just want to add real quick right there, another benefit of to checking in with them on a scheduled basis. First, I love me some check-in, but um, especially if they're like scheduled, but um, is because then you don't create this environment to wear out of like a random time. Someone un, un, kind of unlashes all these things at you that you had no idea were issues or problems or things you were doing or weren't doing. If you were checking in along um, that time period, then it, you could talk about them as they happen versus they feeling like you're being attacked. Absolutely. That's really or like without them that. adding up. Right. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then I, I kind of touched on this already, but like my, my next suggestion was just to like get creative with how you mitigate imbalances that are 
you know, based on whatever, whatever's calling the imbalance in your relationship, just like get, get creative about how you're going to work around it. Um, I mentioned uh, an example earlier around um, age privilege. My, my friend that's in this age gap relationship, um, part of the, her older partner being so well-established also plays into like financial stability um, in, in class to a degree, right? And so for her older partner to always be inviting her out on dates and to fancy dinners and fancy restaurants and always with this high bill and her feeling like she can't do her part, right? And not wanting him to always pay. She doesn't want a caretaker, right? Um, but she wants to be able to do her part, but she can't keep up with the lifestyle that he has of constantly going out to really nice restaurants, right? Um, and so like, I know that one solution that they talked through that she had shared with me was, you know, uh, maybe there's an agreement that the person that asks the other out on a date is the person that pays rather than always expecting the person with greater wealth to always pay, right? Because that can put the person with less wealth in an uncomfortable position of like obligation or expectations or wanting to do your part and not being able to. Mm-hmm. I feel like we do that, don't we, Steve, to some extent? Um, we can talk about that after the podcast. This podcast is over. <laughs> This is good. This is why we're having this conversation. We're bringing things to life. <laughs> um, guys, what do you, do you have other thoughts around, around what we can do about it when we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, either our partner's privilege has put our relationship in some kind of imbalance or vice versa? Well, I had one, one thought and I, this may tie into where you're going to go down the road, but like, you know, what happens if you say something to the other person and they just like stomp you down, right? Like, no, I'm not gonna say gaslighting, but it's like, you know, hey, that comment, that was not an okay comment to make. And the person's like, you know, oh, it's fine. You know, you're just being super sensitive and don't give me your whatever liberal minded agenda, blah, blah, blah. But they just squash it. Like, I'm fine. You know, that's the thing. Okay. So they put that wall up. It, that, that we all know people run into that a lot. Okay. So when that happens, I was trying to think to myself, like, what, what do you do about it? You're trying to have the conversation, but it gets stopped. Okay. And so I think for myself, what I would do is just be like, okay, we have to come back to this conversation. Like it doesn't go away. We're going to come back to it again at a later time. And I'm going to try to address it again. And we just keep working at it, you know? So it's not, I don't want it to be a hard, painful conversation, but it's one of those things like you don't necessarily let it go. It's you keep it around and you come back to it multiple times. What What are your thoughts on that? Man, it, you, this actually does tie into something that I want to get to in a little bit, but I think that we can jump ahead because what you were describing to me sounds like one of the, they're referred to the four horsemen in relationships um, where someone, and I, I don't want to misspeak because I know this ties into one of them, but I don't know which one I would coin it right now, but it talks about when someone kind of disregards or, or can potentially be like gaslighting the other person, like, oh, you're overreacting, right? Please, (laughs) all I want to say to that is please don't do that. If you are that person, I I'll be the first to raise my hand and say like, I'm guilty of having a reaction like that in the past. Like it's a very human reaction, but it's also very important to listen to your partner and to believe them. Right. And if you're on the flip side of that coin, like you were describing Stephen, like there, there really isn't much that you can do other than ask them to hear you and ask them to listen to you and, and bring it up again, the next time that it comes up and again and again. Right. And hope that they see that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I relate that very much to the concept around, um, like, honestly, rape culture, right? Like when, when a woman, um, is sexually assaulted, um, and, and is facing the the challenge of people don't believe me when I come forward. And that's why more, more people do not come forward after having an experience like that, an assault like that, right? Like they need to be believed, we, we need to be believed. We need to be empowered. If we are a person that is bringing a, a topic about privilege to the table with our partner and saying this, this thing that you have, this privilege that you have is impacting me in this way. We need to talk about it. Please believe them because that like no progress is going to be made until, until the person with privilege comes to like acknowledge that, man, this is some deep stuff. What well, you're doing a great job. Thanks. I feel like, I feel like it's good advice, but also like, yeah, you, You've thought about this very well. Thanks, Stephen. Um, so let me see here. Uh, I want to kind of transition into like how to go about having an ongoing conversation about about privilege and when it's affecting a relationship. Um, conversations about privilege and power they're they're not easy ones, right? Like especially when it's with somebody that you care about and it's kind of pointing out a problem in the relationship, like. Nobody likes dealing with conflict. It's not fun. It's not easy, especially when it's something like privilege, when so many of us that have privilege are kind of blind to it at first. Um, It's not easy. Talking about these things one time isn't going to magically solve a power imbalance in your relationship. Um, It's like any, any like muscle in your body or like a practice in your life. Like I think of like yoga practice. It's yoga practice, not perfect, right? Like these things need constant work or they're going to wither and die like this problem that you're trying to tackle around power imbalances it, it's not a one conversation thing you need to work at it if it's going to make progress um so thinking through like what are some tools to help frame the conversation the ongoing conversation so that it doesn't have to be painful uh uncomfortable maybe uh, but not painful and not hurtful like what are some things that we can do or practices that we can adopt to make that conversation a little bit easier to have um, so that we can, we can, you know, leave room for ongoing growth in the relationship and, and support in the relationship. I have a few strategies that I want to share, um, but I would love to start by just kind of asking the room, seeming Kimberly Brandy, like, do you have strategies that you would like to share? Well, I think I already sort of said mine, you know, which is that I wouldn't, you know, if it's okay, it's a topic, it needs to be discussed. I wouldn't necessarily let it go, but I do, like you're saying, I think that coming back to the thing multiple times, always in a gentle way, that's probably the best approach in my mind. That's the best approach because you're, you're kind of the repetition of it helps, you know, I'm not going to say drill it in, but it helps address it and make the person aware. And if you do it in a gentle way, say the thing, maybe back off, say the thing, back off. Then, you know, the fact that it happens multiple times, I think that's how you get things done. It's usually like you're saying, it's not going to be one conversation. I think that's, we would love that, but that's just not realistic. So I I would just do it multiple times. And I will add when it comes to um, having conversations with someone that might be more emotional than you. Like I'm a very logic based person. And especially if I feel like I'm going through something that's important to me, I get even more logical and that can come off as cold. But oftentimes other people, when they come to me with an issue that there's a lot of emotion behind it and it's intense. And while that's uncomfortable for me um, and my method is to kind of be more logic and where theirs is more emotional based, I have to remind myself that 
whatever they're experiencing right now is obviously uncomfortable. Um, and even if I don't understand it, I, if I can just keep telling myself that this is difficult for them, this is a, a feeling or sensation that they are not wanting to experience. And that's why they're bringing it to me so we can resolve it. So hopefully they won't feel like that again. Um, that helps me not become accusatory or be like, why are you so upset? Um, for instance, I have to just be like, it, it, I care that they're upset. It's not. And not get, you know, not let myself be too logical about it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I've had plenty of conflicts over the years where either I or my partner doesn't necessarily understand where the other one is coming from, but we see each other's pain, right? Right. And acknowledging that first is, is, is really like, that's the first thing that needs to happen before you jump into solution mode or even making sure that you're both on the same page. It's just acknowledging like, oh yeah, I see that you're in pain. I see that there's a problem. Right. Yeah. I feel like just addressing the um, issue as soon as possible is really important instead of being like, just, I mean, I'm not saying like latch on to every single tiny thing and bring up every single tiny thing, but if you keep letting things go over time, like that builds up. And so then it just becomes this huge thing. Whereas if you had started kind of in the beginning addressing the issue, it wouldn't have necessarily gotten to be this huge emotional thing. And I think also just like not talking when you're angry, if it has just happened, like I'm not going to immediately talk about it, but I'm going to wait until like I'm calmed down if I've gotten really emotional. That's such a great point, Kimberly. And and that's actually one that I personally struggle with a lot of, I want to bring it up as soon as possible. I want to bring it up in the moment. But if I am in what I refer to as like an emotionally escalated state, it's probably not the right time to talk about it, right? Um, but then when I do calm down, I have a tendency to, like we were kind of saying earlier, oh, it was just this one instance. It was just, it was a small thing. Like, let's just shrug it off. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. But then another thing happens and then another and then another. And all of a sudden that molehill turns into a mountain and then you've got a big problem on your hands. And then I'm really angry about it because it's happened so many times, but I haven't brought it up. So in your, in your cool down time, instead of using it as time to cool down and reflect, you're using it almost as time to diminish the situation. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had never, I had never put those words to what I was doing before Brandy, but now that you say that, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That was, that was really good input input. Um, A lot of the things that I wanted to bring up in this section, kind of like the tools that we can do use for having that ongoing conversation. A lot of the stuff is stuff that we've already brought up over the last hour. So some of this, I'm going to skip over a little bit and just like touch on, but not really dive into. Um, But the first is, you know, start by asking for the conversation, right? Like we know that it's not going to be a one-time thing. We know there's going to be multiple conversations, ongoing conversations around this. It's really important for everybody involved to be in a good mental space and prepared to have that serious conversation. So start by simply asking for it or or scheduling it if possible. Um, And then the next one is, I think this has come up a lot, like acknowledging the other person's experience, their emotions, their pains, their feelings. Um even if you don't truly understand what's going on, you just acknowledge like, Hey, I see, I see that this is hurtful for you. I I hate seeing you in pain that I I feel pain because you're in pain and I don't understand why, but I see that it's a problem and and I'm not okay with that. And I want to work on it with you. Um, You know, let them know that you're on their side and you may not always get it right, but that you want to always try because you value them. 
Um, the goal here is to connect with your partner emotionally before attempting to go into problem solving mode or solution mode, or even just understanding the situation mode, right? Is to just connect with them emotionally so you're both on the same side. Um, and then the next one that I wanted to talk about was the four horsemen and how to avoid them. Um, the four horsemen in relationships are just right off the bat, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Those are the four horsemen. If you've never heard of this concept before, we're going to have a link in the bio. And I would love if you would go and just read through that article. It's a really, really great article kind of detailing out like what each of these are and what you can do about them. Uh, but basically, these are these are toxic and unproductive behaviors in relationships that can sometimes be easy to fall into when conflict is present and when when emotions get really um, escalated. Um, let's see, we don't have a ton of time to dive into each of these uh, horsemen today. So I'm going to define these quickly, maybe throw out an example or two and then move on. But again, if this is a new concept for you, please go and check out the article and and just get an idea of like what they are so you can identify them if they are happening in your life, whether you're doing them or your partner. Um, so let's talk about the first one, criticism, which is attacking a person's personality or character rather than the problematic action or behavior causing the conflict. So it's like saying, you're so lazy, rather than saying, I thought that you were going to pick up your clothing today when you got off of work, right? I thought you were going to do your chores or whatever. Um, so rather than like explaining a behavior that needs to be addressed, you're implying that they're just not good enough for some reason. You're attacking their character. Um, the solution for that is one that I think Kimberly brought up earlier in this hour is the when I statements, right? When you don't pick up after yourself, I feel like your caretaker instead of your partner. You know, when this happens, I feel this way rather than just saying, why are you like this? You suck. Like mm -hmm. avoiding attacking their character and just explaining like, this is where I'm coming from. So that is criticism. Um, contempt is the next one. And contempt is any action or statement meant to insult or to psychologically abuse. So this behavior is often in response to feelings of anger, um, which will trigger some kind of malicious or like willingness to hurt mindset. Um, so that could look like eye rolling or name calling or hostile humor, things like that. Um, and the solution around this one is to just remember to speak respectively, or sorry, respectfully, um, even when you're angry, even when you're like emotionally escalated, right? And take extra air, take extra time for yourself to help you stay calm during a conflict. I think we touched on this a little bit this hour already too, about, you know, make sure that we're both in a mental state to actually have a productive conversation about the conflict we're experiencing. And if we're not in a good state for that, take some time for yourself so that you can be calm, um, so that you can think clearly. So you're not resulting to, you know, name calling and eye rolling and things like that. Um, just take some time to be aware of your thoughts and feelings so that you can really identify the problem and speak only to that. Um, any thoughts so far? We're halfway through the horsemen. I want to, I know I'm trying to like get through these, but I want to make sure that everything I'm saying is making sense. I have one, but I want to do it at the end. Okay. After the fair. Four. After the four. Okay. Um, okay. So the next one is defensiveness. Um, this horseman, basically defensiveness is a priority to defend one's innocence while avoiding figuring out how to actually solve the problem altogether. Um, so like when a person is more interested in not taking the blame than they are in actually working on a resolution. Um, and defensiveness is actually a really common response to criticism, right? Like say, oh, you're so lazy. And I'm saying, you know, I, I pick up, up, I pick up after myself more often if you wouldn't tell me about it so much, right? It's trying to shift the blame so that you are not the bad guy. Um, and so this, 
I personally struggle with this one a lot. Like I, I can feel very defensive of like the reason why these things are happening that you're accusing me of is because this other thing is happening. Like, it's not my fault. Like I'm, I'm just the messenger, you know, things like that. Um, and so like the solution here that, that I focus on um, is to practice non-defensive listening. Um, and so this goes back to like being prepared to have that really difficult conversation. And when you're in the middle of that difficult conversation, practicing non-defensive listening means you're listening to understand, not listening to respond, right? I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm, I'm not thinking like, what am I going to say in response to this about why am I not the bad guy? I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying so that I can understand your pain and we can work together to find a resolution. Because it's not about who's the bad guy, right? It's about how do we work through this together and get past it. Um, okay, that's defensiveness. And the last one in here is stonewalling. Um, and for anyone that's not familiar with stonewalling, it basically means to withdraw or to, to avoid uh, engagement. So basically any action taken to evade the conversation, evade the conflict in the first place. So what's tricky about this one is that sometimes stonewalling can actually be uh, part of like a fight, flight or freeze response where the brain like subconsciously decides that the safest thing to do is to avoid the conflict altogether. Um, so that can be a really tricky place to be where you're trying not to have these behaviors, but sometimes that is your brain's response to a situation, right? So examples of stonewalling would be like ignoring phone calls or texts or avoiding in-person interaction um, or responding with like uh, monosyllabic phrases, right? Like really, really minimal responses or just outright ignoring the person altogether, like the cold shoulder, right? Um, and so in regards to like how to handle stonewalling or how to avoid it, the solution is to step away from the conversation, get some space from that conflict, take the space that you need. Um, be sure to explain like why you're taking that space. You know, if you're in the middle of an argument and you're just going to walk out of the room, like say what you're doing, um, explain why and that you intend to return to the conversation when you're ready. So when you, when you do this, when you, when you step away, take time to do something calming to reground yourself until your brain is no longer in that like fight, flight, free state until your brain and your body feels emotionally and psychologically safe to go back to this conversation. Because I mean, the, the, the whole thing is like, if you're in the middle of a conversation and you're like on edge and anxious and like, you don't feel psychologically safe or you don't feel emotionally safe, your brain isn't going to be thinking clearly enough anymore. And that's where the reaction of stonewalling can happen, right? So the idea is like, how do you create a safe space to have those difficult conversations? Um, and we talked about this earlier, Stephen, I think you talked about your compliment sandwich as kind of a way to avoid a person being in an unsafe space where they feel like they can't say the things that they need to say to have the conversation, right? Let's let's have this conversation in a safe space so that we're not kind of, I guess, triggering ourselves into like feeling really, really uptight and like we need to run away from what's happening. Okay, those those are the four horsemen in a relationship. Stephen, I know you said that you had you had something you wanted to bring up at the end. Yeah, yeah, two things. Um, when you were talking about defensiveness, the first thing that came to my mind is like that was my example of the person who's gaslighting. It's like I'm not racist. You're just being super sensitive. Like that response is a, I think, a good example of a defensive response that's not not healthy. Okay. Then Ava, something you said made me think of the flip side of that. Okay, so what if you're being accused, like the person says to you, like, I'm not racist, you're being super sensitive. 
what I would uh, say, because I've gone through this some myself, is like you have to realize, like sometimes, like am I be? Do I need to put up my own defenses? Is what the person's saying basically is it accurate? If it's accurate, you want to listen to it. If it's not accurate, if it's designed to make you feel bad, then you do want to have some defenses. But I don't think you necessarily have to like spit it back out at the person. I think you can just be aware and put up that blockade in your head and be like this person is being an ass They're, You know, what they're saying is not, I, I want to say it's not accurate. You know, it's, it's made up stuff or it's just, it's just not good stuff. And I don't necessarily need to really give it much weight or much belief, you know? So there's this, you know, yes, totally get the thing of defensiveness is one of the four horsemen. And then the flip side is I wouldn't want people to be like, Oh, I always have to be receptive. I think we have to do a balance of and decide like, when do we need to protect ourselves? Because, we're right. And, you know, when do we need to be open? Because like, oh, I'm just being vulnerable and I'm being defensive because I don't want, because, you know, they caught me on something that was not perfect. So, but uh, real fast, just want to say criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, the four horsemen. These are things we're going to come back to in future episodes. And I think it's one of the things we want to talk about in future episodes, mm -hmm. because um, as, as, uh, what do you want to say? Seduction, seductioners, seductionists. Words. <laughs> um, as those who practice the art of seduction, it's like, we don't want to do this shit. You know, we do not want to be critical. Mm -hmm. We do not want to like treat people with contempt. Like all that stuff flies in the face of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to learn. And criticism is one of those things. Like I know I did it all the time. Accidentally was not aware that like, I was just telling people stuff to help them out. Not aware that it was like, really like you're saying attacking the person, you know? And so, so yes, these are things we need to come back to and kind of discuss in future episodes and it'll be good to sort of repeat it. But it, those are, those are great for horsemen. I have not heard that before, but I love it. Awesome. I'm glad you found it valuable. Um, let's move on to, I've got oh, just a couple left here that I want to talk about. So I'll try to make these brief because I know that this, we've already run a little bit long. Um, and so the next one I want to talk about is five to one statements, which is great because Steven's already talked about the compliment sandwich. And I think this very is a very similar concept. Um, so the concept of a five to one statement is to create a cushion or a positive bank to help keep the conversation in a space that feels safe and doesn't push us into that anxious, that on edge, that feeling unsafe mindset. Um, so this concept also, it also helps us to remember why it's worth working through this conflict in the first place. It reminds us of why this relationship is so important to us and why it's worth fighting for, whatever that reason may be for you. So a five to one statement is, is literally what it sounds like, five positive statements for every one negative statement. So whatever the problem is, to try to, to address the conversation with five positives before even bringing up like the negative. Um, and so like an example of that could be, you know, I love how passionate you are about your new job. It's it's clear that you're both driven and, and good at what you do and that it's so important to you. I feel good knowing that I don't need to worry about our family's financial security. So those are your five positive statements, right? And then the one negative is I also have some concerns about how all the time you're spending at work is taking away from being present with your family and with me. And when you're ready, I'd like to talk to you about it, right? That's a way to like start a conversation without putting someone in a position where they need to feel defensive because they're saying like, oh, you're doing an amazing job. There's this thing that we need to hash out. When's a good time for us to talk about it, right? Um, if you've never heard of five to one statements before, there's also going to be a link for that in today's bio. 
um, where you can learn more about like what these are and why they're important. I've also, I'm also going to enclose a link to a short 10 minute um, TED talk recording about improving positive thinking. And I think this overlaps a lot with what we're talking about, about five to one statements. Um, the video in a nutshell explains how one positive thing happening to us results in a, a feel good feeling. And then one negative thing that happens to us results in a feel bad feeling. But the difference is that a single feel bad feeling is larger in size and weighs more than a single feel good feeling. So we need more feel good feelings to balance it out. It's the whole concept, but it's a really, really good conversation. It's a really, really good TED talk. It's like 10 minutes. It's worth watching if you have the time for it. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about is walking away from the conversation if one or more people start to feel really worked up emotionally or triggered in some way. Um, and so we touched on this a little bit already when we talked about like how to handle stonewalling when that horseman comes up. Um, but basically, like once the conversation shifts into a space of feeling unsafe, um, our brain's prefrontal cortex basically goes offline and we're not thinking clearly or logically, even if we think that we are, we're not because our brain has shifted into more of a survival state or like a fight, flight, freeze mindset. So if things become heated, say so, um, and suggest maybe taking like a 15 minute break or rescheduling the conversation for later in the day or the next day or the next week or whatever. Um, some people actually will even adopt a, a practice of setting a timer. Anytime you're sitting down to have a serious conversation, set a timer for like 20 or 30 minutes at the beginning of the conversation. And when the timer goes off, that's a check-in. That's, we need to stop whatever we're saying right now and check in with each other. How are you feeling? And if any of us feels like we're in like an emotionally escalated state, we stop. We don't restart the timer. We stop right there and we take a break and then we come back to it when we're feeling better. Um, and if we both feel good, we can move on. We reset the timer for another half hour or whatever it's going to be. Um, those are those are all of my my suggestions, all my tools for you to put in your toolkit for dealing with these really difficult conversations. And I think the great thing is that like these these are things that will work for any kind of conflict, right? Like the the topic today was around privilege, but really any kind of conflict that you're experiencing in your relationships, like these these tools are going to work for any of those. Um, Steven and Kimberly and Brandy, any, any thoughts that I had while kind of running through all of that? I know that we're going a little over on time, but I want to make sure we cover everyone's thoughts on that last topic. No, that was great. I had the one timer, last I love the timer idea. <laughs> Brandy, you like anything with scheduling? Oh yeah. Timers. Oh yeah. That's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> well, one last thought is like, I know for like our the mark our community center for the training you know they do the um i don't know what they call it uh it's like cultural humility cultural humility yes training okay. and one of i think the whole main point there was like you're gonna mess up you're gonna say something that's not appropriate or that's like i said earlier like accidentally uh not cool and somebody's gonna point it out to you and the way people tend to react is like, you're going to be fine as long as you acknowledge it and try to do better. You know, that's basically what they want. So if you mess up, like everybody's going to mess up. And it was just like, just be prepared to like, listen to what the other person says, hear what they have to say, and then try to learn from it. And if you do that, people are going to be responsive and glad that you're, you are who you are and that you're doing what you're doing. And it's kind of the response. And I thought that was really good because it was sort of like very easy to is easy way to do it and not to be defensive about the thing, but to kind of take it as like, you know, yeah, we're all going to mess up and we're all learning. And, and we really are all in this together, you know, because we, we all have things we have to work on related to this. So it was a great topic, Ava. 
Thank you. Yeah, I feel like what you just said overlaps a lot with, I feel like this was part of the original like ethical seduction class, maybe about like how to handle fuck ups well, like when you fuck up, like how do you, how do you handle that well? I think there was a lot of overlap there. Well, I think, yes, definitely. I think that's like a concept. That, that and also I think, with like trust and communication and being vulnerable in these situations and these topics that aren't easy for people to, to bring up. I think it all overlaps really well. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Yeah. Um, my, my final statement, my conclusion for the end of our discussion today was just to say, like, at the end of the day, like, there's no one thing that you can do to get rid of a power imbalance completely. Like, these things exist. They're here. They're part of the system, right? And they're not going away anytime soon. Um, most relationships will have some kind of imbalance to some degree. Uh, but you can take steps to put you and your partners on the same page providing equity for each other and supporting each other so that you can all benefit as equally as possible to meet everybody's needs. Um, so just to say that, like, if you identify that there's a power imbalance in your relationship, that's not the end of the world. It's in fact, you probably do. Like if you look hard enough, there's probably one there. What matters is like how you address it, like what you do once you realize that it's there. That's all I got. Thank you. That's, that is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you everybody for joining us. Um, next week we have understanding love languages, which again, Ava's going to kind of walk us through. And then I just know this is going to happen. We're going to break down into a Valentine's day verbal fist fight because we have like the velvet things. Yeah. (laughs) Two of us (laughs) on here are sort of like, oh yeah, we like Valentine's day. And two of us on here are like, I fucking hate Valentine's (laughs) day. So we won't say who's who and what the sides are and what the teams are going to be, but there's going to be some shit that's going to be going down. Oh, I hope we have a listener that responds and like predicts who they think likes and who they think does. (laughs) Oh yeah. That would be really (laughs) good. Yeah. Right. So, um, but check us out at ethicalseduction.com. Uh, I, again, I'm building that website out every week. I, you know, add a little bit more, change some things up on it. So if you've not been back there in a while, like go back there and look at it. It's probably different than it was two weeks ago. I think I've redone all the pages. Um, also we'd love to hear from you. So, you know, give us, write to us, please. You know, you can write to me. If you go to the website, you can click on contact and that'll take you right to my email address, but you can send me emails, steven at ethicalseduction.com. If there's a topic you want us to cover, if you have questions like that, you can also go through and I'll put in the show notes through Anchor, who we does our podcast hosting. You can leave voicemail messages. So if you are daring and an exhibitionist and want your voice out there for the whole world to hear, leave us a voicemail message because we can then play it on the air and respond back. Um, it's the same thing. If you want us to like call you and have a short conversation to answer something like that, write me, you know, or leave the voicemail message, leave your name or number or whatever. And we can kind of do things that way. So we would love to, uh, you know, be able to respond to people more. We're starting to get some comments coming in, which we're going to be addressing, but we would love to have more. And, uh, you can subscribe to today's episodes on any of the podcast apps. So it's Apple, Spotify, just hit that subscribe button. That way we come right on into your to your podcast player we have a new episode every friday and uh, if you want to leave us a rating on apple and for itunes and uh, i guess it's apple podcast now and we would appreciate that so thank you again and uh, i'm i'm looking forward to next week's conversation and verbal fist fight so, <laughs> until then thank you bye, bye. see you next time bye. kids